97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. You know, we, we recognize the, the ability of the roster that's, that's put together right now. And I think we have the ability to do something really special uh, with this group, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Of course, uh, Jeff Mosher, Adam Kaplan will join the show a little bit later this week. Mosher on Wednesday and Friday, Adam Kaplan on Thursday. But Tuesday, we got Andrew Checker joining us again. Football at 4 being brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now and then match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sportsbook along with casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 order to play. Gambling problem. Call 100Gambler at A. DeCecco NFL on Twitter. And he joins us now on the Boardwalk Kind of Hotline. Andrew, how are you doing this Tuesday? Josh and Hunter, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? Doing all right. And, you know, it's kind of one of those days where, you know, you're kind of like in that, like, you know, awkward transition from, you know, the players always about, oh, we want to talk like 24 hours to celebrate a win. They got to move on to the next team. And it kind of feels like that's where some of our own mindsets are. Before we get to the game coming up, we got to get to the news. Uh, it feels like a, a shot to a low shot, right? So like a shot to the gut because Rodney McLeod, he's out for the year. Now Jack Driscoll, he's out for the year. And it's really frustrating, Andrew, because I felt this guy played incredibly well against two of the best opponents the Eagles had this year. He played very well against Washington week one, and now he played very well against the Saints, and now he's done for the year. It just feels like a low blow. Yeah, I mean, how many more hits can this team possibly take? When you talk about a player like Jack Driscoll, I got to see him at the Eastwood Shrine Bowl in January, and he played every position on the offensive line, including center. He was lobbying to play center to prove his versatility. Played tackle with the Eagles. I think his ultimate home will be a guard um, and possibly center moving forward. But he can just do so much, and he continues to get better. He still needs to get stronger and add something to his frame, Josh. But what he was able to do on such a limited sample size has, is very impressive. He held Cam Jordan to one tackle, and he played through that, that severe MCL sprain. So, I mean, you have to be encouraged with what you see with him. But he was one of those guys that I was really looking forward to see play over these next three games. Well, it's probably going to be Matt Pryor stepping in, and there's no doubt that he's been underwhelming this year considering he played in a playoff game last season. So my question to you is, do you think that he is at least going to be able to be serviceable for the back four games here, three games remaining at this point? Serviceable would be the operative term there. I mean, I, I think that because because you have a quarterback who is fleet-footed and can get out, can escape pressure and get outside the pocket, like Jalen Hurts, I think that Matt Pryor can be serviceable in that role. Is he a long-term option? No, but he does have experience, and he's a lot better than anyone you would find at this stage of the season. You might see uh, Prince Tega Winagu, uh, a uh, six-round draft pick from this past year, who's more of a developmental player, may be called up. But, I mean, as far as your options go, yes, he does have experience. It could be a lot worse, but you got to feel for Jack Driscoll because he was really playing at a, at a high level, and he proved his worth against the uh, Saints. When you think about also this offensive line, this is going to be, what, the third different combination on this line this season? It just feels like, it almost feels like with every injury and every situation, Andrew, it's almost like fate is almost turning around to this team and saying, you were never meant to have a good year, so just get over it. Like, it almost feels like every time they have something good, like they beat the Saints, big win, Jalen Hurts, and then it's like, 
oh, by the way, you were never supposed to win this year anyway. <laughs> well, this will actually be the 13th different offensive line combination this season. And, yeah, I guess I suppose you could look at it that way. But you want to carry that positive momentum into the offseason, into the possibly even the postseason, should the Eagles be able to win out and, and things fall their way. Um, you, you always want to end, end the season on a high note and really evaluate those young guys. So, and it, it, no matter where you, you suffer an injury, it, it's it's always a, a concern. So, um, I, they're going to have to see what they have here in Matt Pryor because he's really uh, someone that that should be playing. He has a lot on the table as far as his future with the Philadelphia Eagles, and he may not, he's going to be a guy that's on the roster fringe going you know in training camp. And this is going to be very telling because he's going to get a lot of chance to get some good film out there. If Jordan Maialata keeps this up, how hard is it going to be for Andre Diller to get his job back? And if he can't get his job back, what do you do with him? Are there teams ready to rock and roll to go out and make a trade for Andre Diller? I just feel you're watching a, a guy in, in Maialata play so damn well. If he plays like this, I don't know how you lose that job. Yeah, Jordan Maialata, barring something unforeseen, should be, and in my opinion, will be the left tackle next season. How do you go away from a guy who's just come so far improved by leaps and bounds from where anyone could have expected him to be at this point in his career, hasn't hadn't played professional football, American football, prior to 2018? I mean, you got to move in, move forward with him. And then with Andre Deward, you maybe give him an opportunity to, to play guard. Um He's been, he, Andre Dillard should not be handed a job, should not be given first-team reps because he hasn't he hasn't deserved it. His play hasn't warranted that. And I think he's going to have to earn his spot on the roster. Or you, you assess his, uh, his value, and there will probably be a team out there that's because offensive line depth is pretty porous around the NFL. There will be a team that might be interested in his services. So I think you also have to look that route as well. What does it say to you about Jordan Maialata's progress from being a guy that people were wondering, why did you waste a late-round pick on this guy? People theorized you could have gotten him as undrafted free agent. And now he's gone from being this, who is this guy, to being, well, he's a athletic freak, to being a potentially viable left tackle for the Eagles in the future. Well, players of his make... His size and athleticism, that raw ability, those are type of players that you those are the type of players that you tend to, you know, take a flyer on the seventh round and not risk getting them as an undrafted free agent because there's a lot of teams that are gonna be vying for someone like that services and they may be more inclined to go to another team that has uh it's a little bit lighter on the offensive line. But I, I attribute his his kind of uh his development solely to Jeff Stoutland, who's done a remarkable job piecing together these offensive lines every week, uh, having to transition in the middle of games oftentimes and find guys, plug guys in here and there. And I also give a lot of credit to Jim Alotta for putting in the work that it takes to become a, a an ascending tackle in this league. It's not an easy position to play. You're seeing the other team's best rusher many times, and I think that he's held up well, well and, and I think that he's shown signs that he can beat that cornerstone left tackle with another with a full offseason and just continuing to build off of what he's doing now. When you look at the way the organization has this built with Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, and obviously Jason Peters is is done at this point, do you, how much time do you think they have left with these veterans? Throw Jason Kelsey in the mix. Is it time to start moving along and going in another direction? Brandon Brooks has these two big-time injuries. Lane Johnson hasn't been able to stay healthy this season. I know they're starting to hit that turning point of older in their careers, but 
do they keep riding with this and secretly in the background have the backup plans ready to go? Or do you maybe make the move and commit to being younger up front? I think to commit to being younger up front, that's one of their oldest position groups on the team right now. And I think that they need to get that. That's why these next three games are so important to get these young guys, these reps, because like you said, there's no guarantee that Jason Kelsey returns next season. You don't know how Brandon Brooks is going to return. He's He's been such a miraculous and, and quick healer, but we don't know how he's going to return from that and how he's going to respond and if he's going to be able to hold up. Jason Peters, like you said, he's done. So now you got to – this should have been all about the Jordan Mailatas, the Isaac Samalos, the Jack Schools, the Prince Tegawanagu, who's probably going to get promoted to the active roster. These, this is what you really need to assess. And then you kind of add a piece or two through the draft based on what you see that you need in these next few games. And I think that when you look at what the Eagles have, they need to get a lot younger in many areas. The offensive line is, you know, first and foremost. And depending on what direction you go with your quarterback, especially if he's a young guy, you, in Jalen Hurts' case, you want to continue to build around that and get, have pieces around him to, to kind of grow with. You mentioned Jason Kelsey. What do you think the next best option is for this team? Let's say he does walk away and, and that's it, and that's all she wrote for his career. What would you do at that position? Is it Isaac Sayamalu? Is it Nate Herbig? Or is it someone who's not on the roster right now? What do you think their best option is at center if the Jason Kelsey era eventually does end pretty soon here? Well, prior to this season, um, Nate Herbig was working as a center. He was a guard at Stanford, but I think that He's played well enough at guard that you almost want to find a place for Nate Herbig. And if he can hold up at center, great. And you can keep, say, Milo at left guard and maybe put Jack Driscoll at, at, at right guard. Or, or Jack Driscoll can also play center. I've seen him play center. Um, and, and you want to get, you want to find a way to get him into the lineup. They do have some young pieces there that can do that job. Based on what Stoughton sees, based on what the team can see over, in, over this course of the season, you may need to add a center, a true center in the draft and go that route, but they do have some in-house candidates right now should Jason Kelsey retire. Andrew Checker joined us here on the Boardwalk on the Hotline on 97.3 ESPN Football at 4 powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Follow Andrew on Twitter at NFL. Andrew, I want to start looking a little bit ahead to the Cardinals game because now that we know Hertz is the quarterback, now we know we have the 13th iteration of the offensive line coming up, this is a very different defense the Eagles have to deal with because Buda Baker is a phenomenal talent in the secondary, and realistically, though, outside of him, it's not like the Cardinals have anywhere the level of talent that the Saints do. So is it fair to say if the Eagles were able to get 24 points against New Orleans that they should be able to get that and more against Arizona's defense? Well, if, if this season's taught me anything, it's never to assume anything, especially with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, they could very easily go out there and put up 30, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if they go out there and are early able to muster 17 or 20 points. Um, while the Saints defense is better on paper, uh, Hassan Reddick, I believe, had five sacks last week. Now, do I expect that to happen again this week? Not likely, but they do have pieces like 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 Hassan Reddick, like Zach Allen, their defensive tackle. Jordan Hicks is still there and, and is a, has kind of solidified that second level for them. Marcus Golden's a decent pass rusher. Uh, Patrick Peterson's still there, regardless of, 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 of what may, people may think of his play. He's still, he's still a top corner. And, like, and Buda Baker's that movable chess piece. They do have some dynamic players on that defense still. And um, especially now with the offensive line taking yet another hit, 
they do have some pass rushers that can kind of disrupt some things there, especially from the second level. And I think that's something that really needs to be taken into account when assessing this game. When you look at the wide receiver play, I look at this Fulgham story, and I feel like it's getting slid under the rug because, well, the quarterback change and all this. He was unbelievable for four games. And is it ironic that as soon as Alshon Jeffrey came back, all of his production just stopped? Is a part of it because he's showing why he was cut a couple of times? Like, what is going on with Travis Fulgham where he went from one of the best in the league, which I didn't expect that to keep up forever, but for him to be this poor in production, where did this go wrong? Man, I've gotten so many messages and emails about this question. What happened to Travis Fogel? It's essentially on a milk carton right now. Uh, um, Watkins played 23 snaps. Fogel played the lowest snaps among the wide receivers. He played 11 snaps. So Quez Watkins, who was playing in his third NFL game, really hadn't done much of anything to warrant playing over a Travis Fogel, who had that great four-game sample size. You have to wonder what's going on there. And when I do see Travis Fogelman out on the field, Hunter, when I'm watching the All-22, he, he's not somebody that gets open consistently. He doesn't get that separation. His routes aren't as crisp that you'd, as you'd like. He doesn't work back to the football, make life, make life easier on the quarterbacks. There's certain, there's certain nuances to the receiver position that it's kind of it's showing up on film, and you're starting to see why he was a guy that's kind of bounced around on multiple teams. There wasn't a lot of film on him, especially coming out of Old Dominion, and didn't have a lot of preseason tape or anything like that with the Lions last year, so teams that really know how to play him. And I think what you're saying now is he's a pretty easy, defendable player when you know that he has these tendencies. Now that he's had that success, now you need to see, okay, how are you going to adapt to what defenses are giving or are showing you? How can you kind of take that next step in your game to really be the player that you were for those four games? And right now he hasn't done that, and that's why guys are playing over, over him. How much do you believe that the rotation of receivers we saw this past Sunday and that we will see this coming Sunday has to also do with Jalen Hurts' comfort level with certain guys, the guys he's had the most experience working with and on the practice field? I, I think so. I think that has a lot to do with it. I mean, this week you kind of saw a, a puzzling uh, move to deactivate a John Hightower, but to activate... Quez Watkins, who was on the bottom of the depth chart, yeah, he probably saw a lot of reps with Jalen Hurts. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was uh, was active but did not play. Um, these are guys that he probably had repetition with. Alshon Jeffrey is a big-bodied veteran that make, that, that plays above the rim, and he can just having him out there can make life easier for a young quarterback. And I think that when you see that he's getting these snaps over Fulgham, Alshon Jeffrey is a veteran, and you're having a guy like Travis Fulgham who doesn't run the, the sharpest of routes and isn't working back to the football and, and doing doing the things that you need. You can't. The margin forever is so small with a rookie quarterback that you want as many veterans out there as possible. Quez Watkins is a raw, deep threat. He, it's surprising to me that he hasn't gotten a, sh- a shot at punt returns, but I think that when you see how the receiver, how the receiving snap share has been kind of uh, divided up over last week, I think a lot of that is directly tied to the guys that he has experience with in practice. Do you feel like certain receivers on this roster are better fits in the offense the Eagles are running with Jalen Hurts versus what they were trying to run with Carson Wentz? Yes, I think that uh, particularly John Hightower. I think John Hightower. He has uh, John Hightower is has some of the same capabilities of a Jalen Rager, to not not to his quite to his level, but he can take the ball out of the backfield. He can really make teams play on uh, pay on crossing routes. 
and he can take a screen pass and really make some like, create some yards in space. Jalen Rager is is a good fit for almost any offense. I kind of equate his skill set to a Debo Samuel with the San Francisco 49ers in that you don't have to force feed targets to him. You can get him the ball in a myriad of different ways. And um, and 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 Alshon Jeffrey right now, like I said, he he's gonna he's gonna be that red zone option that that guy that's gonna go and get the football between the hash marks. And and I think that every quarterback needs a, a player like that that you can trust and count on to do that. And I think that it's a good it's a good match of of receivers right now that he has to work with. Um, and then Greg Ward, Greg Ward is a player to me that has that rapport with um, with Jalen Hurts. They're both from the Houston area. He's talking- 32-yard touchdown in Green Bay. Greg Ward's a security blanket for any quarterback. He runs great routes. He's not going to stretch the team vertically by any means, but he's going to catch the football. He's sure-handed, and he's going to work that short to intermediate area. So, yeah, I do think that he's well set up for some of those options. Andrew Checo here on Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Follow on Twitter at A to Checo NFL for Eagles and NFL draft coverage as well. Andrew, speaking of the draft, this is week 16 of the college football season, and we got some very bizarre, interesting circumstances around college football this week, and I wanted to ask you about one specific player before we get to anything else before we let you go. Jared Patterson has been a revelation of Buffalo, and I know you're a guy who's very zoned in on a lot of the guys who may not be at the top of people's minds in college football do you think Jared Patterson can be an NFL running back? And if so, what do you think his role could be in an offensive NFL level? Because I know a lot of people, he's raising a lot of eyeballs. You know, you know, one of the fastest guys to ever get 1,000 yards in a season, basically four and a half games, basically. Yeah, Jared Patterson was a player that I looked at last year, Josh, as a player that I had bookmarked to keep an eye on this year to see if he could sustain that production. I mean, last season he had nearly 1,800 yards and 19 touchdowns. This year, in in just a a four-and-a-half game sample size, he had 123 carries for over 1,000 yards, 18 touchdowns. He's legitimate. He can play at this level. He won't be a a first, second-round guy, but, you know, he does have um, NFL ability. He can catch the football well. He's only 195 pounds, but I do think that he can add 10 pounds to his frame and really be that – that one-two punch, that that downhill thumper that the Eagles really need to move those chains, and I, th- I think he can be that. And I mean, he'll be available at probably a day a day two pick. But um, yeah, I, I, I've I've been very high on Patterson, and and he's been playing his his play is going to turn a lot of heads, and he's gonna he's gonna be a riser here. I've had a chance to talk to you since the uh, BYU Coastal Carolina game. And we saw Zach Wilson again, maybe not have an elite game against San Diego State. Has he been exposed since the Coastal Carolina game? Is is there maybe flaws in his game that maybe we didn't see earlier because he didn't play as good of a defenses for the first two months of the season? Yeah, I, I think so. And the numbers that he was he was putting up video game like numbers, but he wasn't really you have to look at the quality of opponent that he was playing and and when he finally played a, a real defense in the Coastal Carolina de, uh, defense, that really they kind of he wasn't able to he wasn't able to have his way out there. He he's a guy that likes to he make one beat and run. He likes to take off a lot. He he locks in on his receivers. He drops his eyes sometimes. There are certain things to his game that he really needs to to iron out before you can 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 consider him a blue chip prospect. Um, because he got he got exposed a little bit against that Coastal Carolina defense, and he made poor decisions with the football. 
And these are things that need to get cleaned up before we're ready to anoint him the, the second or third best quarterback in this class. Another guy we're going to see this week, the SEC Championship game. Kyle Trask had a rough game last week. He's another guy who looked great for weeks on end, and then all of a sudden he has a bad game, and I'm just starting to wonder, you know, between Wilson and Trask, these are two guys who are rising up draft boards. Everybody on Twitter is talking about them. All of the draft analysts are like, well, this guy could do this, this guy could do that. And Trask is another guy I'm starting to wonder, is there maybe a little fool's gold there, or is he legitimately a good draft prospect? I like Kyle Trask, but he's he definitely isn't without you know flaws or blemishes to his game, and I never had him as a as a sure in my you know top five going to be a stud, going to be a you know ten year starter for a franchise. I mean, look, he, he doesn't move very well. There, he's erratic with the football at times. Um, but he needs he's another you know he's far from being a finished prospect, and he's going to have to answer a lot of questions in the pre draft process and 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 prove that he can be that he has what it takes between the years to be a franchise signal caller. And, I mean, game to game, he hasn't been a, very consistent. kind of reminds me a little bit of Jordan Love from last year. But um, there's gonna, this, that's another player that's going to be a very polarizing prospect as we enter the pre-draft process. What's a player that's going to be playing this weekend in college football, or, or two players you want to point out that people need to watch out for that could be really NFL players next year? Uh, Chris Olave, the wide receiver for Ohio State, I really like. Um, he's he's a big-bodied guy. He can play special teams. He's fast. I think he's going to be a second-round pick. Uh, he's a red zone guy. He's just a very fluid route runner, polished product. I really think that when teams, whoever drafts him, is getting an NFL-ready player. Um, D'Amador Lenore, the corner for, uh, for Oregon, they play Friday night. Um, he's a guy that I really like. A lot of the guys in that Oregon secondary are NFL players. They, a lot of them opt out. He's, he's stuck around. He's a long, big-body corner that plays the football well. He's been the leader of that secondary. And I think he's going to be a plug-and-play player at the next level. One more guy I want to ask you about. It's a little selfishly. Cedar Creek's own Rutgers, Bo Melton. He's had an explosive year this year. He's finally playing in a legitimate offense with Steve Gleason up there at Rutgers. How do you feel about him as an NFL prospect? Yeah, I mean, I, I like I like what he's done, and I, I think Greg Schiano has done a great job in, in kind of highlighting some of the players that they've had that's kind of been buried. Um, I mean, I think that... He, I think he's probably ultimately going to be an undrafted free agent. But when you look at the breakout season that he's had, he does have NFL qualities. The traits are there. He's going to have to have a good pro day, and maybe he'll be invited to the combine. We still have to see. But if he has a good pro day and can wow teams in the interview process, he's going to get an opportunity. And um, you see countless guys like Bo Melton across the college football platform, and all they really need is the chance. And you know, if the more you can do, the more you can stick around. And I think he can play. Uh, he can play punt. He can, he can cover kicks. He can be a returner at the next level. And those are guys that you teams will take a late round flyer on. He's Andrew Decheco. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. A Decheco NFL for all your Eagles NFL draft, college football analysis. Also, check out all his work at 97.3 ESPN.com covering the Philadelphia Eagles. And as all guests, he appeared on Football at 4 on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Great stuff today, Andrew. You bet. Take care, guys. 
Josh Eddick filling in for Mike Gill along with Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN. Football at 4 on 97.3 ESPN being brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now and the match first buys up to $250. Sportsbook from the comfort of your home along with great casino games right there at PlaySugarHouse.com and the PlaySugarHouse app must be 21 order to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll keep the football talk coming up next. Along with Hunter Brody, I'm Josh Hennig. We got the professor, NFL insider, John Clayton. What is one of the players he thinks that could have an impact on the NFL postseason down the stretch? One of them is a Philadelphia Eagle. Find out next here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. This is the radio home for Philadelphia. Josh Hedick filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN alongside Hunter Brody here. More football talk now with the professor, NFL insider John Clayton. Make sure you follow him there at John Clayton NFL. His latest article over at the Washington Post, six players who will be most impactful down the stretch for the NFL season. We'll get into all that more right now with John Clayton as he joins us all guests do. On the boardwalk kind of hotline here on 97.3 ESPN. John, how you doing this Thursday? Good. How are you? Good. So before we get to your article in the Washington Post, we wanted to get your perspective on the Eagles because unexpected win, Jalen Hurts, pretty impressive game. You know, what were some of your takeaways you know, initially from the Eagles game, what we saw from Jalen Hurts? Well, I think what it came down to is that, you know, here's Jalen Hurts kind of using the Taysom Hill type of role and did it better than Taysom Hill. And Taysom Hill, of course, has had uh, three starts before this game, at least uh, this year, and now looks to be you know a little bit in trouble if they have to go against good teams. The one thing we know, the Eagles do have a good defense. That's something that's been holding up all year. Uh, but you know, offensively, basically, it, it turned into a copy of Lamar Jackson and what he does down in Baltimore. I mean, because you know, when you think about the idea that uh, you know Hurst can go out there, run the football, get the running game going, and that was that was good. And you know, you look at the fact that New Orleans had a streak of 55, I believe, consecutive games where they didn't give up a hundred-yard rusher. Well, guess what? And Hurst ended up getting over a hundred yards. Miles Sanders they was got over a hundred yards. I mean, really shattered them. And so. What you wonder about, can this be a repeat to a certain degree? Because obviously there's not enough games to do it. So you go back to 2018, John Harbaugh, kind of like Doug Peterson, was in trouble. He's on a hot seat. And so he made the switch to go to Lamar Jackson. They go to the running offense. They win seven out of eight games to make the playoffs. And then eventually he gets a well-deserved contract extension. And so now in the case of Doug Peterson, if they can – take a run and get a run going with that good defense, maybe there's a chance. I know it's going to be tough because they have to make up so much ground in such a short period of time, game and a half over three games to catch Washington. But, hey, I mean, if you finish the season you know, with a couple more wins, even though the schedule is pretty tough, I still think that would be boding well for this team. I don't want to take anything away from the victory because it was very impressive, but how much do you think played a role when the Saints were on their third straight road game with Kansas City going to New Orleans next while you had the Eagles with such an emotional change at quarterback? It just set up, it seemed, for a trap game, if you will. Yeah, you could say that because uh, the Saints, you know, because again they've been, they've been playing so well. I mean, you know, they cleared out all their early season problems with their defense, and then all of a sudden, now had the number one defense in football. But uh, I mean, I, I think what it does show 
visit, uh, the Eagles, may, uh, for talent certainly, is better than their record. Because one thing you can see that Taysom Hill was going through an easy stretch. I mean, he was taking on teams like Denver and that that aren't very good, the losing teams. And, of course, I, I can't imagine that Sean Payton would allow the team to uh, you know, kind of look past the team, but maybe that played into it for a certain degree. I guess now what it comes down to to see if the Eagles and uh, Hurst can continue this. But yeah, I think you know, three going three games is very difficult when you're on the road. Although again, it's not as difficult this year because home teams are 104, 103, and one right now. Uh, so it's a pretty 50-50 whether it's win or lose at home or on the road. But uh, still, I think uh, it was it was a good victory for uh, Doug Peterson, and certainly makes it interesting at the quarterback position. So what's the next step for the Eagles this Sunday with the Cardinals? A very, very different defense personnel-wise than what the Eagles saw with the Saints. Well, for talent, I mean, the defense right now that's very good stopping the run. And it got a little bit worse because Jordan Phillips, who got a $10 million a year contract to come over from Buffalo, the defensive lineman, you know, he just got back from injured reserve and uh, he ends up coming back and, uh, you know, losing, uh, I guess, a hamstring injury. So he's not going to be able to play. So I guess from one standpoint, because one thing that you know, particularly with uh, Hassan Reddick getting the five sacks and all that, they can rush the quarterback and they're a big blitzing team. <clears throat> but one thing that they like to do is they like to play man. And that's why there's a, such a, a dramatic difference between Carson Wentz and uh, Hurst in the standpoint, if they're going to go man defense, then his running ability is even going to take advantage of it a little bit more. But basically what you're going to be seeing is kind of an upgraded version from what you saw last week. Because Kyler Murray, after about a three-game stretch with a shoulder injury, he wasn't running as much. Well, he got back to running. And so this is going to be interesting to see because this will be a running type of game for both teams. I'm not trying to look at this negatively, although I'm kind of throwing another element of, you know, maybe looking at looking at it that way. Is it possible that with Jalen Hurts, the element of surprise was so big? You didn't really have tape. And I just wonder, because Doug is known to run the same offense and to be very vanilla, be very bland. Should that be a concern with him calling the game for Jalen Hurts? Because now there is tape. It's only one game, but the more games you play, there will only be more tape on him. Yeah, that could be a factor, but also, too, it's like, uh, you know, if you have good ability to run the football, now what you'll also wonder about, is there going to be enough blockers out there that can do anything? Because now, you know, one more guy going on injured reserve, the right tackle. Uh, so, you know, blocking has to be a big concern. Jason Peters last week, but he was pretty much down most of the season. But that that can be a challenge. But, yeah, I mean, but the, the question is going to be, can will the blitzing cause problems? Because, you know, the Saints aren't a big blitzing team. And naturally, Vance Joseph, who's a defensive coordinator in Arizona, is a big blitzer. How much problem is that going to cause? And if there's going to be pressure, is that going to cause problem for Jalen Hurts? But I think you just take it one step at a time. I mean, it was a great start for him. Uh, you know, he brought energy back in the offense, energy back in the team. And again, the one thing that uh, is still standing in the Eagles' quarter is that defense is pretty good. John Clayton joining us here on the Boardwalk Kind of Hotline on 97.3 ESPN. Make sure to follow on Twitter at John Clayton NFL. Also, you got his latest article over at the Washington Post. As the NFL playoff stretch begins, these six players are the biggest impact. One of those players you have on that list is Jalen Hurts. You mentioned in the article, John, that he's a wild card. So what if Jalen Hurts does keep up this play? How much can he upset the entire playoff outlay? Well, I, I don't know because, again, it's like they still go in as a uh, fourth seed, whoever wins this division. 
and they're going to be you know, facing the fifth seed, which very well is going to be a team from the uh, NFC West. So the question is, I guess you have to kind of reenact you know, which team, whether it's going to be Seattle or Philadelphia, they can face. And Seattle's defense is getting a little bit better. They're starting to sort some things out on offense, although I don't know how you judge what's going to be there with a 40-3 to victory over a bad Jets team. And then, of course, the Rams, I mean, they've got one of the best defenses in football, even though they don't have a lot of big names other than Aaron Donald and Jalen Hurst. Uh, and, you know, they've got an offense that's, you know, acceptable. But uh, I guess you have to just look back and say, okay, which which team, whether it's Washington, Philadelphia, or the New York Giants, uh, could do the best against either the Rams or the Seahawks? Looking at another name on the list, you have Big Ben, and I think that's so interesting with this Steelers team. They start out 11-0, and and then they lose two straight. It seems like the sky is falling. How big is Big Ben for the rest of the way? You know, huge. I mean, I put Russell Wilson in the number one slot, mainly because, again, if he plays well, they win. If he doesn't play well and makes turnovers, they lose. And so uh, that's that's the key right there. But what you're looking at with the Steelers right now, there's a lot of things that just aren't going right. They're one of the worst running uh, football teams in the country. They uh, Their defense was at least down three linebackers because they lost two to ACL injuries. And so and then also had Vince Williams on the COVID list. And so they were down three-fourths of their linebackers. The only starter they had left was T.J. Watt. And so that was a problem. Then you look at the fact that uh, you know Ben Roethlisberger is going through a stretch where he's had four consecutive games where his passing uh, yards per pass was 5.7 or less, and it was so bad last week that it was down to 3.7 yards per, per attempt, which is just ridiculously low. You need to be above 6.4 just to be average, and he's at 3.7. Now what's hurt them also is that they're the second-worst team in football for – uh, dropping past, you know, the Cowboys have 29, the Steelers have 25, and so they've just got to find a way. And, of course, it doesn't make it uh, any easier that they have two games coming up uh, the rest of the season against winning teams. I mean, Indianapolis is going to be a tough one. They've got to play Cleveland, and so they've got to get out of it. But, again, Ben Roeth- Roethlisberger has a long history of bouncing back from adversity, but he needs to do it, and he needs to do it this week. They mentioned on the Sunday Night Football broadcast, John, about how the, the Bills were predicting some of the things the Steelers were doing because of the style that Ben Roethlisberger likes to play. If if teams are knowing what's coming, is there anything the Steelers can do to maybe mask that or maybe adjust on the fly, or is it too late in the season? Yeah, they, yeah, they can they can make adjustments. I mean, you heard the same thing even coming out of the mouth of uh, – Baltimore quarterback Lamar Jackson that uh, he was sensing that people were being able to predict some of the plays that are there but you notice that uh, now in the last couple weeks they've gotten back to getting that running game going and getting the offense moving in the right direction and so uh, yeah so I'd have to think they've got to vary some things up and you know one thing that when you start to hear these type of comments you know coaches then kind of go in and spend extra hours I mean I wouldn't be surprised if the offensive coordinator stayed overnight if that's going to be the case but uh, you know they've got to fix some things up but one thing that's maybe predictable about what's going on is that, you know, Ben Roethlisberger's taken a lot out of his air yards because, you know, instead of throwing deep, he's been throwing quicker, shorter passes. And so because of that, I think that, you know, they caught up to him in the sense of maybe in the last couple of weeks, you know, they, if you figure we don't have to worry about the deeper stuff, so let's take away the under D stuff because that's what Ben's working on because you know, he's getting the ball out in, what, about 2.25 seconds, which he's never been able to get the ball out that quickly. So maybe they just need to lengthen some things and also get better blocking on the offensive line. John, another thing in your around the NFL part of your Washington Post piece I want to ask you about, you mentioned at the end about how there's a possibility this might be the end for Matthew Stafford, and it's very strange to think about 
a Detroit Lions team, and he has been the most stable quarterback of what the last 30, 40 years for that franchise. And if they do move on from him, you know, where does he go? What do they do? I mean, it just seems like such a strange thing to even wrap your head around. Yeah, but of course that's that's the thing because you know there's going to be so many different changes on teams, particularly with the cap going down and uh, not going up, and so now you have to start to think, okay, is it time to make a move? And right now, with that rib injury, don't know when he's going to be back. And almost for his sake, it almost be a good idea to go to a different team because again, here's a great player that's played for a long period of time since 2009. You know, they were able to get him because of a winless season. And what they now have done is they put him in a position where he's made the playoffs what, a hand, but a little bit like three or four times, but they can't win a playoff game because there's not enough good talent around him. And of course, you wonder where the talent level is going to be, you know, because Marvin Jones, the wide receiver, he's a free agent after the year. Their offensive line's not very good. So, uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of churning on these teams right now that are going to have 10 losses or more. And that churning could make Matthew Stafford available, uh, at least in some kind of a trade. Do you have a destination potentially in mind that Stafford would make a lot of sense for? Uh, you you kind of wonder if, uh, now again, New Orleans, Sean Payton put a little bit of a ribbon on where he, things are going to go. He thinks if uh, the quarterback on this team is still on his team, whether it's going to be Jameis Winston or uh, Taysom Hill, uh, which kind of gives the indication that Drew Brees might be out. So I think, you know, still you can't rule out the possibility of maybe the Saints getting involved. I mean, Indianapolis, I still think they're going to bring uh, Philip Rivers back. But uh, if they don't, then I think, you know, they're going to be making calls for Sam Donald. They'll be making calls on Carson Wentz if he's going to be available. And then, uh, you know, they, they could look at Stafford as a possibility, too. But there's going to be a lot more movement. And, again, San Francisco could be one, too, because, you know, there seems to be churning out in the Bay Area that they might move on from, uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo. He's John Clayton. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at John Clayton NFL. Check out his latest article in the Washington Post and also the Schooled with the Professor podcast as all guests he appeared on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. John, always appreciate the time and the insights. Thank you. Josh, heading along with Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, we got more coming up. It's a Tuesday with Thompson coming up at the top of the next hour as well. We'll get to more of your text messages next. 609-403-0973 the PlaySugarHouse.com text board here on 97.3 ESPN-FM and 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. We're the OJs. We are teaming up with AARP New York City to offer a free online couch concert on December 17th. So tune in from your home and sing along to some of your favorite songs and ours. We'll also be chatting about outdated beliefs and aging. And how we can continue to grow and learn and live our best lives. So join us. You can do it from the safety of Welcome back into the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN, being brought to you by Recovery Centers of America Drug and Alcohol Addiction Centers, located in Mays Landing, New Jersey, and Devon, PA. Tuesday with Thompson still to come. Good to more your anytime hotline calls as well. Also the text board, 609-403-0973. 
So one of the things that John Clayton mentioned that I thought I thought was interesting at least was did you notice when he mentioned about he wasn't a hundred percent sure about Jalen Hurts, right? Like he wasn't he wasn't trying to like sell us a bill of goods on Jalen Hurts. But he also kind of gave us a little bit of a hint that, hey, you know, you know, be ready for the what if because and if the what if does happen, what if they beat the Cardinals? What if they win all out? He mentioned Lamar Jackson with the Ravens in Baltimore. What do you do then? I'm one game away before I get to that. I need to see what happens on Sunday, and then maybe I can get sucked down that road. But there's something else that stood out to me during that uh, during that interview. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And uh, I, I know that you mentioned to me earlier that it was a rough day. And I was like, yeah, I know. I've had some rough days as well. I could see it in your body language, but we'll get through this. But I think that tough and rough day that you're having kind of came out on the air. Oh, really? Yeah, I grabbed something for you. I want you to play it. On the boardwalk kind of hotline here on 97.3 ESPN. John, how you doing this Thursday? Good. How are you? <laughs> Josh, what day is it today? <laughs> Apparently, I don't know what day it is. Play that, play that again. You thought you were so smooth with a nice introduction. John, how you doing on this Thursday? On the boardwalk kind of hotline here on 97.3 ESPN. John, how you doing this Thursday? Good. How are you? <laughs> now, let me ask you this. If you're John Clayton... And let's say you're a guest on any show. Right. Would you step in and say, oh, thanks for having me. It's actually Tuesday. Or do you just let it go? Well, considering John's been doing this way oh, longer yeah. than either one of us, uh, the fact that he didn't say anything is uh, probably the answer. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We should look up to him as the veteran here and say, you know what? That's probably the right way to handle things. The, the veteran says... Don't call out Josh as the guest. Right. As the co-host here, though. That's fine. I can go at you. That's fine. One yeah. more time. I think it's so smooth with the way you just <laughs> casually went with Thursday. On the boardwalk kind of hotline here on 97.3 ESPN. John, how you doing this Thursday? Good. How are you? Long day, Josh? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. It's Tuesday. Hate to break it to you. The, the, the best part is the... So... Just to pull the curtain back, um, in order for us to play that clip, I had to do something I'm not supposed to really do on this computer to even pull that thing up. So now we're breaking rules. Now, you mentioned Gil trusts us. He, he allows you to do all this. And now, here you are just telling well, the world. I'm not breaking rules. It's just, you know how with, with Google and Gmail, you're not supposed to have too many things open at the same time with too many accounts? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so you're not breaking that many rules. No, I'm not breaking a rule, but it's just like... I've seen the tabs when I walk behind Gil. All right, he's got three billion tabs open, and I think he does a lot of that. Yeah. He's got five million things open over there. Well, that's why some things don't work when he tries to pull them up, because he's got too many tabs open. I try to avoid that, and I, I had to kind of push the limit there a little bit, you know? You're a smart individual. But let's get back to the real question. Who doesn't US. know what day it is? Well, Fair point. But you did bring up something really interesting about, you know, maybe running the table. John Clayton saying, hey, if they win this, what if this? What if that? I stand here. Let's see what happens Sunday. From there, let's reassess the conversation. If they win on Sunday and you look at what's left in Dallas and Washington, I think it's more of a realistic conversation. I think now you're going too far ahead. Let's see how they play against Arizona. Then we'll readdress. What are your thoughts on that philosophy? I appreciate you saying that that we need to reassess after the Arizona game. It's just it's a it's a fun 
interesting rabbit hole to go down. The what if, you know, what if things go completely sideways, right? You know, what if Jalen Hurts does end up winning all these games? Then what do you do, right? And you saw, as John mentioned, with the Ravens, Flacco had to go. There was no more room for Flacco there anymore. And he was he was kind of near the end of the rope anyway at that point. But I think Wentz, people still believe Wentz is salvageable. Wentz is fixable. Wentz is, we can rebuild him. We have the technology or we have the coaches. Whatever the situation may be. So, it's such a unique situation because also, go through Eagles history. We've had a ton of these situations. Randall Cunningham and Jaworski, right? You know, it was McNabb and Kevin Cobb. And then it was Michael Vick and Kevin Cobb. And then Michael Vick and Nick Foles. And Sam Bradford and Carson Wentz. It feels like this franchise just can't avoid quarterback stuff. But this one, they did to themselves. They did, but Wentz did it to himself, too. Sure, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. You know, maybe if Wentz doesn't make so many boneheaded things, maybe you don't have this conversation. Maybe you never look to the backup quarterback. You know, maybe if Wentz actually turned his head every once in a while, you maybe he would see, oh, look, Miles Sanders or Jalen Rager are wide open in the flat. Yeah, I mean, I got, I got to imagine there's something behind this stubbornness that's being talked about. You know, it, where there's smoke, there's fire. We've been hearing it for a lot of years. So I just wonder, is there something to be said about how he is from a personality standpoint? He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill on a Tuesday here on 97.3 ESPN. A Tuesday with Thompson coming up next here on 97.3 ESPN and 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. They mentioned it's Tuesday.